Welcome to Anime Ichiban, Guma Stomp's dedicated anime podcast. As always, I am your host, Matthew Pontier. I am joined this week by our lovely co-host, Kyle Rogoshone and Harry Morse. Yes. Hello. Hey. How's it going? It's going good. We're going to form up with our little Pitch It To Me game that we started last episode. And so we are the foremost experts in anime, as you all know. And so our yes. word is law. And so people come to us for recommendations. And so this week... Someone's come to us for a recommendation, and they like thrillers. So what kind of anime would you recommend to someone that likes thrillers? Mm -hmm. Uh, Define thriller, because you can have a bunch of different kinds of thrillers. So, so. yes, it can be thriller in the sense of like something like uh, Get Out, where it's not quite horror. It's not meant to scare you. It's more made to unnerve you. Oh, okay. Or you can define it in the terms of the Michael Jackson song. One or the other. Oh, uh, a fun <laughs> pop funk jazzy vibe. Um, no, okay. So if we're talking about like not quite a horror, but very unnerving, um, basically any of Satoshi Kon's work, um, there's that. Uh, why? Uh, why Satoshi Kon's work? Well, Satoshi Kon yeah. is uh, he, he's the kind of person, or a lot of his work uh, can be like categorized as psychological thriller. So he'll dig into like. Oh, the, the real monster was man all along and digging into like the motivations behind like why people can be driven to do horrible shit mm-hmm. um, and all of that. So there's that there's psychopaths, which we've talked about before, which is just a great thrill. It's a crime thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like on the not so grisly side of things, um, a, a lot of different anime will have like the kind of thriller where it's like, Oh my God, what's going to happen next where you, it gets kind of amped up. So a more recent example would be something like Kakegurui, but older ones would be like no game, no life or Kaiji, both of which are fantastic mind game. Uh, they're all about like game theory. Mm-hmm. So it's like, Oh, what, what the fuck are they going to do next? Kind of thing. I concur with all of those. I wasn't expecting so many recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> my my I'm, pitch. I'm, I'm oh, the go. opposite. I have very little to recommend. But you well, got- yeah, thriller is kind of a difficult term because it is. I yes. don't, I don't really watch like much horror stuff or anything like that. So that kind of dark horror like thriller, I'm not particularly educated on. Um, but there's plenty of stuff that is just kind of like high stakes, high intensity. I guess Kyle mentioned Psychopaths, and I'll, I'll like, I'll say yeah, Psychopaths is awesome. I think the first season of that is really, really good. Um, I've not seen the new season, and I know that the second season was pretty lackluster. But the actual first season of Psychopaths is really good, in my opinion. Yes, definitely. Psychopaths, it's, it, it definitely delves really into that kind of dystopian society that you read about in high school and puts it in a very uh, disturbing light, in a way. My, my recommendation would be Parasite, The Maxim, which aired oh, yeah. a few years ago. And it, it skirts the line between thriller and horror, especially in the early episodes, I think. It's about these aliens that invade and basically, like, eat a human and then will pose as that human oh, and the main oh. character is only like his only he like only his arm is eaten so he has like an alien arm now but he still has his consciousness but uh it's it's really interesting to see how it develops because it's definitely not a horror series because the aliens eventually they realize like if they just go out and kill humans like they'll just get killed off and so it's about them trying to integrate into our society while still having these weird urges. Meanwhile, this main character is caught in the middle of all of it being half alien, half human. 
And okay. so it's a very fascinating show. And it's it's 24 episodes with a start and an end, which is nice. It's all self-contained. Mm, I, yeah. I saw it years ago because I binge watched the whole thing in one day. Oh, man. Uh, I, was, I, was watching, I was watching it with someone. I don't typically binge something in one day, but because I was watching it with someone, mm-hmm. they really wanted to binge the whole thing, so I did. Um, and this was about four or five years ago. So whilst I remember enjoying it, it didn't stick with me. Mm-hmm. I think because I just sort of watched it in one day and then didn't go that's back to it. That's a 24 episode straight. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. a lot I, to process. I, I, it was too much to process. So I've, I've forgotten quite a lot. It's the sort of show I think if I'd watched it over a period of time, I'd have remembered it much more. Uh, but I, I do, the bits I do remember, it was good. Yeah, exactly. I watched it when it was airing. So it was once a week. So I had like time in between episodes to like think about things. But yeah, I'm kind of similar to you, Harry, where I can't really do straight up horror, except mm. games. For whatever reason, I can play horror games. I can't watch horror movies or anything like that. I don't. You would think it's the opposite, but it's not for whatever reason. I'm not yeah, sure. I, I'm I'm pretty alright with horror games. I don't play many, but out of like Resident Evil stuff, for example, I can play that. Yeah, but like, I can't do horror movies. I can't do jump scares. I right, think yeah, it's, it's weird because with horror games, even though it's like you're in control, which could arguably be scarier, the fact that you're in control means you can tackle a potentially scary moment. Exactly. At, that's at your my pace mentality. Your if you think, oh, fuck, if I go into this corridor, it's going to be really scary and it could be really like jumpy. It's like, okay, I can go at my own pace and I can take my time. Whereas a film, you're at the mercy of someone else's edit, someone else's mm-hmm. direction. And, and you, all you can do is hit the pause button. And that's not really the same. Exactly. Yeah. I, that, I think that's exactly why I can handle horror games and not movies and so on and so forth. I think you're the only other person that I've met that's the same way, Harry. But who oh, wow. needs horror media when <laughs> we're like very quickly marching towards a horror movie of our own in real life? Oh, it's so How is your bad. quarantine lives treating you right now? Uh, Harry, beforehand, you were saying you're starting to get used to it a little bit, but... Uh, UK, yeah. they sh- they shut down a little bit later, right? They It was only like a week or so ago. Yeah, I, I think our government was somewhat reluctant. Um, I thought you guys really... got quarantined earlier than we did. I'm not sure. I, I think no. the government was kind of reluctant to shut things down. Yeah, it was um, it was after us. I, I know that in the US, like from bits I've seen, Fox News and the sort of Republican side of things were very much in denial of the severity of the virus. I, and then I thought we, I saw I saw first hmm. day Fox News just saying like there's been no deaths there's been no deaths it's like the common flu and then like loads of people start dying and obviously you guys go into lockdown I think all those Fox News broadcasters like it's really I bad. don't think we have a federal lockdown yet it's pretty much right. still on a state by state basis yeah. Mm. It's yeah, it's not federal, but at the, this point, and by the time U, UK issued their lockdown, it was a majority of the major states. Especially yeah, the majority, were, yeah. but at the very least, like the UK is still like, I, 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 like your government is still like, okay, we recognize this is an issue, even if it's you know a little late, um, mm. compared to ours, which is like, ah, we'll we'll, we'll deal with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At, at least my government is actually taking it seriously now. It's just taken a while. Yeah. Um, it's it's weird though because you've seen a sort of conservative right wing government adopt more socialist sort of policies and more left wing policies, uh, which shows how severe it is and and how intense it is because you're seeing governments do things that are radically out of character for them because they have to because yeah. they're, yeah. they're being forced just to. out of necessity. Um, so yeah, out of out of curiosity, Harry, you live like out in the countryside, don't you? 
Yeah, yeah. How has it changed much? I've honestly not left the house in weeks. <laughs> like, I, I, I've, I've the only place I've been is my garden. External to that, I've not been outside. So I really couldn't say. I, I think, mm. um, I, I know my mum and dad have had to go out a few times to go shopping, but, uh, but generally, I, I think people are treating the lockdown really seriously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get some idiots. Like, you're going to get some people who get really stir-crazy and who, like, go yeah. around. But so, I think generally it's all right. Generally for me, uh, because I live in a city, I, I think now we're doing okay, but I have definitely seen, like, at least during the beginning, I definitely saw, like, a lot more people outside than there should have been. I don't know what it was like for you in Boston, Matt. Yeah, I'll get to that. <laughs> go on first. <laughs> but, yeah, at least for me, like, it's it's been pretty chill. Like, my... My life hasn't really changed. Um, I just work from home now, which is nice. I also have more time to play like a bunch of different games, which is cool. Like Persona Five Royal, like, like Persona Five Royal, <laughs> yes, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. We for can, me we over can in get Boston, that, because I'm playing the same. Yeah, so for me over in Boston, uh, I had my first work from home week this past week, and which is a little bit strange because I'm a lab personnel member, and you can't really do work as a lab member when you're not in a lab. And so it was basically, I I expected it to be just kind of at home and not a whole lot of working, but I was actually a lot busier than I expected mm-hmm. with all the, uh, the telephone meetings and also just reading up on papers and pre- kind of uh, prepping some data that I had on hand and going through uh, making presentations. And also on top of that, because because of this whole kind of lockdown mentality is where if I don't have a string of like three hours between my next my first work event and my next work event or something like that I can't really clock out my mind and so I stay in this weird kind of funk where my brain is on lockdown and I don't I can't do one work I can't do work one way or the other because I can't really um rectify in my head that it's worth it to do I, I don't know I'm not making sense in this regard <laughs> but the, the point is that I'm in a weird mind state right yeah, now. I, yeah. I was going to bed on Thursday night and I went to go lock my front door and I thought I found it was already locked. I'm like, oh, that's weird. I don't remember locking it tonight. And then I realized it was just locked from the night before because I hadn't stepped foot mm. out of my unit for 48 hours. I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, it, this is not right. And so I, I just did like a short walk around the block that morning. Like I just needed a little bit mm. of fresh air, just a little bit. And then I came back. So yeah, it, it, it's been weird for me. Next week, I'm going back into work because we're in this kind of two-shift system. So one week on, one week off. So it'll be a little bit better. But yeah, uh, I'm playing tri- the Trails from Zero fan patch because that just came out. I'm adoring it. But more importantly, Persona 5 Royal are yes. two. Yes. Uh, so how far are you two right now in it? I currently, I, I've beaten Madarame's Palace. Oh I'm my God, you've beaten Madarame's Palace already? Yeah, I'm in the in-between. That's the second that one, right? Third palace. Yeah, I'm not far okay. in. That's um, pretty far in, considering like the intro is yeah, really long. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 pretty long. Um, but no, like I, I know what I'm doing with Persona 5, but also like I, I do take it slowly. Um, I don't like to play it quickly. I like to take my time, even though I've, I've, this is my third playthrough. Um, obviously, because I've, I've beaten the regular Persona 5 twice. This is my third playthrough overall, but also my first playthrough of Persona 5 Royal. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. It's just, I think the the criticism I can make against Persona 5 is that because it's quite linear and it's quite long, 
it does mean that repeat playthroughs can be quite fatiguing. And I think with this being my third playthrough, I am finding it a little bit fatiguing. However, that's not to say that it's like flawed particularly because it is one of the greatest games of all time, in my opinion. It is amazing. And Persona 5 Royal, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I really enjoy some of the little additions they're making and changes. They're subtle, they're not major. Um, but I am noticing that like after Madarame's Palace, this new character, Kasumi, is coming into it more. And um, that I think there's going to be a lot of big changes made, but it's just going to take a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing. So what's one of your, your favourite changes you've seen so far in your time? Um, honestly, I, I think the biggest one for me that stood out, and it sounds like quite a small thing, but graphically there is a big overhaul. It still looks it still looks how it did before, but you notice how Persona 5, the standard version, it's a PS3 game, really. It is a PS3 game that was sort of chucked onto PS4. But Persona 5 Royal looks and plays like a PS4 game. Yeah, that was something I noticed and was kind of surprised by. Uh, the game is a lot more optimized. Uh, like, mm. loading times aren't nearly as long. Everything looks a little bit crisper, um, yeah. which is really nice to see. Yeah. It's it's really easy to forget that the original Persona Five was originally a PS3 game because it came out mm-hmm. so late in the PS4's lifetime. Um, it was technically a port, but yeah, to your point, this Persona Five Royal is made not necessarily made from the ground up because it is it does have the foundation, but it was made with the PS4 in mind. What about mm-hmm. you, Kyle? What's uh what's stuck out to you about Royal so, so far? I don't know how far you are. Though. My I'm still in the middle of Kamashita's Palace, so the first <laughs> arc. But my biggest so. Gameplay-wise, I am so in love with the fact that ammo replenishes after yes. every fight. Yes, yes, yes I love I that. had yeah. no idea that was going to be a change, and it was so nice to see. Um, it is a literal game changer. Yeah, because, like, I don't know. I, I felt very judicious when I was playing it uh, last time, and I would be like, okay, I really only need to use it to, like, see if anybody's weak to gun but now I can be like, oh, okay, this is like actually part of like my active strategy, yeah. which yeah, is really I basically st- stopped buying guns in the original Persona Five because they were just completely worthless. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Uh, so that's nice to see, which I really appreciate. But just story wise, um, I granted I haven't like gotten super far in, but there I've noticed that there are like some small changes to how they're characterizing or just like changing a bit of the dialogue, but mostly I'm very impressed with how seamlessly they integrated Kasumi. Um, mm. But I, I feel like maybe it might be a bit jarring if you're coming into Royal as your first Persona 5 experience. But for me, really? who's like, come, yeah, because like they make a point of like showing her off in the intro sequence, which is like, oh, why is mm. this character getting so much attention? Um, but it's like for, for somebody like me, who's already beaten Persona 5, it's like, oh, okay. I like okay. that. I like that, like, they're introducing this new character already and they're not just having me wait for, like, the last couple months. Like, I didn't want another Haru situation. <laughs> the sad part is, I think Haru is still going to be terribly underdeveloped yeah. because yeah. I don't think there's much they can do for her, but well, we'll see when, or you guys will see. I'm, I don't plan on playing Royal, but um, I, I will I'm, definitely I'm, t- listen to yeah. Kyle, I'm finding after Madarame's Palace, Kasumi is coming into it more and more. She's a confidant now, but like I can actually hang out with. Really? So like, oh yeah, wow, she comes into rip it Haru. 
Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. But at the same time, Kasumi's a great character, so I can't Yeah, yeah, I also really, I, I generally like her character too, which is nice. It's, and it is one of the best JRPGs, one of the best games ever made, I think. It is fantastic. I really hope we get the uh, localization announcement for Persona 5 Scramble soon, because yes. that's that's the one that I'm really interested oh, in. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, mm. All right. But yeah, I'm glad that you guys are enjoying Royal and that it doesn't seem just kind of like the slapdash port that was thrown together like a Game of the Year edition to yeah. sell more copies. And I, I think towards the end, I know that after the main story, there's like an extra semester and there's a lot mm-hmm. of new content there. So I think towards the end of the game, it will become totally new. It just takes time to get there. Yeah, you got to play the whole game first. From what <laughs> from what yeah, I've yeah. seen, I haven't played Golden, but Atlas seems to be like pretty good about like their definitive edition releases. Maybe, yeah, because I, I played Golden, but I didn't play the original Persona 4, gotcha. so I can't say how much it added. Mm. All right, time to get into some anime news. You guys ready? Yeah. What do we got? All right, so we're going to play a little tiny game called uh, Print It or Ditch It. So you guys are the news editors for a top-tier anime magazine. I'm going to nice. give you some headlines. You're going to choose either we print this headline or we just ditch it and we just don't talk about it all. All right, ready? Okay. Mm. Okay, first headline. Ikitosin is getting a smartphone game. What's Print Iki- it or ditch it? What's, well, I, I think <laughs> it's important to know what Ikitosin is before I, I make this it. decision. I don't know what it is. So therefore, we ditch it. Yeah, we'll ditch, ditch it. it. We'll ditch it. Okay. W- Number what two. If one, what, wait, wait. Hang on. What if one of our free listeners... Um, loves Ikitosin and they're like, oh my god. Well, now we'll have two listeners, Harry. Mm, true. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sorry for the Ikitosin fan that take, we offended. Take, take that as an apology. Like, if you're one maybe, of the people who, yeah. Maybe we'll offend the other two listeners, but when I say, uh, Evangelion is getting a smartphone game. Ugh. I mean, I just don't really have an opinion. I obviously know yeah. what Evangelion is, but I don't really have an opinion of smartphone games. So print it or ditch it? Ditch it. <laughs> ditch it. Tough crowd. Like, you, you could choose I Love My Hero Academia, but if, if someone announced I was getting a smartphone game, even then I wouldn't care. Yep. And that's like my favorite series. So, yeah. All right. Well, what about this one? <laughs> Masaki Yuasa retires as oh, science that, that president. Oh, that was news for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I so was very... So we're exci- ditching this one? Interested. <laughs> no, what? Hey. Hey, no, we're printing that. We're printing that, you little shit. Yes, 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 yes. All right, so here, here's the real news topic that I was leading up to with this little bit. So, uh, renowned anime director Masaki Iwasa announced on Twitter uh, two or so days ago that he was, or has already actually retired from Saru as the president of it as of March 25th. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the notice in good old Google Translate simply says, I recently retired as the president of Science Saru on March 25th. I'm grateful to the people who helped me. Thank you very much. Um, and in a little bit of a follow-up and from Anime News Network and other sources, it, uh, the only thing we have, the other only other details we see is that he wants to break, just to like see what, prepare for what's next to come in his life. But no, no other details from that. He's just t- ready to move on, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Which is fair, like, uh, at this point, especially at this point, Saru has, like, an established presence in the anime industry, as well as an established workforce, um, and, like, very good people at the helm. Like, uh, I think part of that news, too, is the person taking over is uh, Eunyoung Choi. Eunyoung Choi, yeah. Um, who is the director for Izuken? 
I think they were Direct, the director. I think so. And also she was the producer for Ride Your Wave. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they have somebody, like, it, it's in very capable hands. Uh, but not just that, um, especially with Azerkin, uh, because that, first off, that had, like, such a universal critical and, like, public acclaim. It was just, like, a hit all around. Um, mm-hmm. But in addition to that, like, it also was probably one of the most, like, transparent shows i've ever seen like maybe aside from trigger like they did regular updates like from the animation team to show you like what they were doing and how, how like how things were like being made behind the scenes which is really cool um but it was just a very point being it was a very like reassuring look that science Saru has like it's shit together <laughs> yeah it was really interesting to me because when I went to see Ride Your Wave in theaters a month or so back, there was a post-credits interview with Un Young Choi afterwards, who again, I, like I said, was the producer for it, whereas you also was the director. And I thought that was interesting. It's like, oh, okay, you would think that most people would be more interested in seeing an interview from Masaki Yuasa, but instead we have uh, Un Young Choi here. And her interview was still great. It was really interesting to hear what she said and her little... Uh, vignettes about working with uh, Yuasa and like bringing his vision to life and just kind of having this are you kidding me moments when he describes the things that are in his head um but it, it makes a little bit more sense I'm not sure if that was their intention to like put her more on the spotlight and get people more exposed to her but I I, I can put a face to that name now mm-hmm. I know her kind mm-hmm. of personality and knowing that she's going to be heading science Sorry, I know it's like okay yeah the, the studio is going to be in perfectly capable hands for sure um it should be noted that uh, Yoasa's final work that he's directed on is Japan Sinks, which will be debuting on Netflix sometime this year. But as that is the last uh, last work that he will be credited for. From then on, it's going to be off to whoever else is on Sign Saru. Mm. So, well, actually, first of all, Harry, uh, do you have Hello. anything to say about this? Uh, no, Before, that's why okay, I haven't yes. said anything. <laughs> yes, but in that regard, though, I've so, remained quiet. I've just listened. I, I've been a member of the audience for that discussion. It's been nice. <laughs> but so, to cap this off, what would what would you say is your favorite Yuasa work, Kyle? Oh God. Um, so just to name off a few, if you can't think of them, there's Devilman Crybaby, right, right, right. Cake Heart, Lou Over the Wall, Mind Game, Ride Your Way, Ping Pong the Animation, Tatami Galaxy, Kaiba. Uh, what else? Just, okay, so the one that I've enjoyed the most. God, that's a really hard fucking. Okay, <laughs> yeah, like they're all really good. Okay, here, here, here's I'm gonna name one though. If I had to pick one that like encapsulated Yuasa's just entire style and work ethic and just approach as an artist, I'd probably choose The Night Is Short. Oh yes, that's right. I forgot about it because I haven't seen that yeah. yet. Okay, it's 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 basically Tatami Galaxy, um, but just in like it's an hour. And universe, a, right? It's the same universe. It's but it's like yeah. an hour and a half of just pure Yuasa. Um, whereas like to tell me, Alex, like you kind of have to watch like the whole thing to get a feel for it. But the night is short. Uh, it just, it's a very self-contained thing. Yeah. And I, I I would say that like, that's the most exemplary piece of just Yuasa general style as an artist, which is, it's very fluid. Um, it's very colorful. 
it exaggerates human movement and motion. Right, um, definitely. But at the same time, it doesn't neglect the narrative. It's very much uh, people-focused and, like, digs into the motivations about, like, why people do what they do and why they are just who they are and all of that. But as far as, like, what I think I've enjoyed the most, or at least, like, I enjoyed Devil Man Crybaby, but it definitely left me feeling very hollow at the end because it's a very rough series to get through. I would say Ping Pong was a very positive and the most uplifting work he's done. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. My my pick is Ping Pong. And granted, I haven't seen as much as Yuasa's work as you, you have. I, I tried. Watch- <laughs> you should fix that, Harry. Yeah, I, I should. Yeah. Yeah. So... I can address that too because I <laughs> tried watching Tatami Galaxy and I should watch it. Except when I watched it, it was when I was like eating dinner essentially. Oh no! Yeah. And so I was like looking away from the screen to like spoon things into my mouth and looking back up. I'm like ten different things just happened. Like what the? What? Yeah. No. No, so no. 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 It like, is not the kind of show that you even can watch, me like, sitting down watching Tatami yeah. Galaxy. I had to pause and rewind several times. Exactly. So I need to go back and like give it my full attention to watch it at some point and also be like not tired. Yeah, watching I would it. say Tatami Galaxy is as involved of a watch as the Monogatari series is. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely the feeling I got. So I have a feeling it would definitely rank high if I had watched it, but I haven't. So my pick is Ping Pong for kind of the same reasons as you. It's just a tour de force of his mindset. And I think another thing that he's is demonstrative of his style is just lack of outlines. He mm-hmm. loves to just chuck those out the window and just like have these amorphous blobs moving instead. And somehow it's gorgeous. And I think that's definitely emphasized in a lot of ping pong's uh, animation. And yeah, just, so as uh, like the final, way the, as a bit of a final note on that, it was kind of funny um, because you also wasn't really in well I mean, the director for Isaken was uh Choi right but you Yuasa yes. like I think you can see in like episode 1 and like the last episode there are a few like of what? scenes where they get very of blo- or something of, of Isaken, where okay, like yes. th- some of the characters have like very blobby amorphous movement and it's like it immediately jumps out to you as like oh Yuasa probably directed that or storyboarded mm-hmm. that. Exactly, yeah. Like, you, you see a character and you just see them kind of, like, melt yeah. in a way. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. that's that's a Yuasa character. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it, it best of luck to whatever he has in the future. I um, This definitely seems like it was an amicable parting, something that was in the cards yeah. for a while. But yeah, I, I whether it's in the anime industry or otherwise, I, I wish him the best. Mm-hmm. Positive vibes. Exactly. Happy times. All righty, moving right along. So about a year ago, we had an, a, a podcast episode where our main topic was uh, what shows would we like to see remade? And this was due to the Fruits Basket remake that had just started airing. And so I don't know if you guys remember which show I said. Do you happen to remember that this was 11 Ooh. months ago? Uh, uh, then, May 2019 oh, of course, podcast. of course I remember. Yes, yes. No, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I'm surprised Kyle. you didn't answer with Boku no Pico, Harry. Oh, that's a that's a throwback to classic jokes, Kyle. <laughs> that is, that's even that's even older than a year. Cool. <laughs> you know, as a bit of a side note, I was looking at my LinkedIn because um, I list Goomba Stomp there, and I was like, oh my god, mm-hmm. I've been like associated with this site for like two years and seven months now. I, yeah, I, I actually oh. had the exact same thought today because I was also on LinkedIn doing stuff. 
Same and we joined at like the exact same time too. Yeah, you joined the the month after me. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. I think I think I might have joined before you both. You, you, you were, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I am. Okay. I am the king. Shut the You're fuck the up. Senpai. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Anyways, now what? Right. What series did Anyways, you? What series did you pick? Coming. Yeah. So, I said I wanted a remake of Higurashi no Nakakoroni. Oh right. And yeah, lo and yeah. behold, <laughs> I got my wish. Oh yeah. Ooh, I saw so. That. Um, yes, yes, yes. So Higurashi Nanaka Koroni is getting a brand new anime project. Granted, they haven't specifically said that this is a remake or a reboot of the series. However, in the trailer that they have released, it's made pretty abundantly obvious that it is. And so this is most likely going to be a retelling of the Higurashi story from the beginning with new animation. Same voice actors, which is great. But it's going to be animated by Passion which did Roka, Braves of the Six Flowers, and High School TXT Hero. <laughs> mm, okay. Um, Akio Watanabe of the Monogatari series has de- uh, redesigned all the characters, and it's pretty obvious if you look at the trailer. Uh, but yes, it, it, this is, is this going to be... Other, air- other redesigns bad? <clears throat> no, it's, they're actually really good. Uh, they all look very good, with the exception of the main character, Keiichi. It looks Ooh. a little bit off to me. Uh, it's not bad. It just there's something well, about his face. At least it's only the main character. <laughs> yeah, no one ever cares about the main <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah, so this is actually going to be airing very soon, this coming summer, and so uh, it's going. One of the things I said in our discussion almost a year ago is that I'm really curious about how they could pace this to get through the earlier parts faster, because the earlier parts can definitely be more of a slog. But that's also necessary for the very cathartic ending at the mm-hmm. end. Um, so I think this is a great time. I, I I really like this resurgence of anime reboots that we're getting now. Like we went through this. We're still going through this age with uh, games. Like we just have Resident Evil 3 remake. And we have Final Fantasy 7 right around the corner. I'm but excited. I, really li- I pre-ordered Final Fantasy 7 yesterday. Oh, yeah. One more yeah. week. Uh, if you go to Australia, you can get it there right now. Anyways, um, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and now we're kind of seeing that trend come over to anime as well. And it started off with the Hunter x Hunter remake. Um, and then we had the uh, Kino's Journey. Then we had Boogie Pop. Then we had Fruits Basket. And now we have Higurashi. And I really like, I, I like how we're not just sticking to Shonen, which is kind of what you would think you would go to for remakes. And we're getting this very wide swath. And by the way, Higurashi is absolutely a thriller. I would have said that in my opening segment, but <laughs> I knew we were going to talk about this, so... Held off on that. Um, just to give a little bit more background on Higurashi as a series, it originally came out in 2002 as a visual novel at Comic Head. And a fun little tidbit about that is that the uh, creator, uh, Ryukishi 07, he walked into Comic Head 2002 with 50 self printed CDs of the first chapter of Higurashi. And he sold them for something like 50 or 100 yen each. It was basically free. And all he asked the people was that they go to the link included with the CD, which went to a survey, and just tell him about what they thought about the game. And that was it. Just 50 simple self-printed CDs has grown into this massive, massive franchise that people love and adore so much that it's getting a remake. That's awesome. Exactly. It's a very, very heartwarming story. Uh, If I recall, so Harry, you don't have any experience with the Higurashi franchise, correct? I do not. Yes, Meanwhile, Kyle, you said that you've played some of the visual novels. I played novels. a bit of it, like, back when I was still getting into visual novels for, like, the first time. Um, mm-hmm. 
And I didn't get super far into it just because it was very upsetting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew it was going to get worse. um, So, yeah. (laughs) I switched to Sayano Uda instead, which was comparatively... You were playing that, Sayano Uta, and Clanad. Yeah, so I was very much not in the right headspace to get uh, more emotionally traumatized. Mm -hmm. So from what you've heard us talking about Higurashi Harry, just circumstantially and just what you know about around the web, is this reboot something, or I I guess I shouldn't be calling it a reboot because we don't know it's confirmed, but it's most likely a reboot. Uh, Is this something that you'd be interested in checking out when it comes out? What's it about again? I can remember very little. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah, so... Oh, yeah, that would Recap be a good place me. to start off with. Yes, wouldn't yeah. So, <laughs> Like, you've just, kind of, you've just kind of told me basic things, but I don't mm-hmm. actually know anything about it at, at its mm-hmm. core, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Higurashi is one of those series that's a little bit hard to describe without spoiling things. Um, <sighs> so, but basically, the basic premise is that the main character, Keiichi, has uh, moved into this uh, quaint little mountain village with his parents. Uh, because his dad got relocated for work. And so it's a very, very small village, very tight-knit. There is one school there that encompasses all the grades, and there's only a few kids. So he goes to that school, and he meets all the basically all the kids in the village, which is a grand total of like 10. He starts settling in and becomes part of the community, and then um, weird things start happening that revolve around the uh, Oyoshiro-sama's curse, essentially, where every year... They have this festival of sorts, and every year one villager goes missing and one has been found dead. Um, and that's been consistent for X number of years. And so that festival is coming up and stuff happens. That's the best way I can describe it. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if there's one thing that I love, it is murdered villages. So, yes, I would love to check it out. Um, as someone who lives in a village, obviously, I like to imagine my own murder. <laughs> It's a, a weird fetish. Nice. Right what, 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 uh, how, what, what's your, what's been, your preferred way to go out? What's it. your preferred way to go out, Harry? Um, preferably sexually. Uh, it's some sort of kind of village sexual burning. What's um, a sexual I'm burning? Cru- I'm crucified. I'm, uh, I'm anally probed and I'm burnt at the stake. Some sort of combination. Ah, oh, so yeah, you're a Guru fan. Really, really... Yeah, really great stuff. So it's assuming that kind of content is in it, I would definitely check it out. And I think we've I lost confirm the... nor deny that that kind of content is in it. God. Because you don't want to spoil it. I really, mm-hmm. really respect that, Matt. Thank mm-hmm. you for not uh, delving into spoiler territory. So, Matt, I forget. Yes. Is There there was an anime series, right? right. Yes. Adaptation. Yes. Okay, how long ago was it, though? Uh, so that was the first season was 2006 and the second season was 2007. Okay. So it's been over. Yeah. So that was still like close to the original VN release, which was like what? Oh, three, Oh, four, like, Oh, two. Oh, oh, okay. So even earlier, the anime came four years after the original, but that's still like at this point, that's, you know, 13 years ago, um, at the least. So I think with an adaptation, it's not just a matter of like, I guess making it look nicer or whatever, but at least in the case of Fruits Basket too, right? It's like bringing it back into relevancy because it's still like, like Fruits Basket, it's still like a very good series. It's just who's really going to go back and like, I mean, I guess you could go back and watch the series. I don't, I don't know how the adaptation was though. It was not. The okay, greatest. well then there you go. You can bring it back to a new audience. So it's like, so for example, like it, 
Like I wouldn't want to see Clanad remade because I just say, "Hey, go watch Clanad." No, like, go no, go no, watch yeah. Clanad. Uh, but in Higurashi's case, like I I can see how you know this might be something more, some something to look forward to more. Exactly. Yeah. And what's really neat is that this might coincide with the English release of the final chapter of the VN as well. It's almost complete, mm. and so it should. So by the time this anime comes out, the whole VN saga should be completed um, in English, which is also really nice. But that's not the only remake announcement we got. And Ooh. we're not going to dwell on this too much because I don't think any of us have any experience with this franchise. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it just goes to show the breadth that we're reaching with these uh, remakes. Tokyo Mew Mew. Oh my god, have Tokyo fucking Mew Mew is getting remade. Jesus Christ. I, I thought it, you were going to say Tokyo Ghoul, and I think, oh, I know Tokyo <laughs> Ghoul. And then you say something else. For fuck's sake, what, everything you say, every series you say, you'll just you'll just set something up. It's like, oh yes, the new series, My Hero Gabubu. And it's just like, oh, for fuck's sake, Matt, you said another one I don't know. <laughs> Jojo's Bizarre Magic Kimono. Just, oh, god damn it. <laughs> like, you always trick me. <laughs> Gotcha. Oh. I love hosting this podcast. Oh. Yes. So talk about another series I don't fucking know anything about. Thanks. <laughs> well, well, we got one for you later on, Harry. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Tokyo Mew Mew is a magical girl show that uh, came out 20 years ago. In mm. fact, it came out in 2000. Uh, Kyle, the way you reacted, it sounds like you actually know something uh, about this. It's... So... I never consumed, read, or watched the series. Uh, I know about it just because, like, I I got, I was, like, around anime a lot uh, as a kid. So my understanding of Tokyo Mew Mew is that if Sailor Moon is, like, hardcore magical girl, Tokyo Mew Mew is, like, that times 20. That, that sounds about right from what I know. The basic premise is that these girls fuse in some aldrich abomination alchemical ritual with animals and so then now they have animal ears and tails yeah. and they are magical girls and they fight stuff and that's tokyo mew mew it's just i distinctly remember the aesthetic being very like bubblegum pink and like oh yeah yeah very i mean the, the, it says it in the name it's like it's very you know kawaii what's, what's really what's really funny about this is that one of my friends was telling me about one of his friends was watching an anime of a show of a manga that she read back in middle school, and she was really embarrassed to admit it. And so we went on this whole investigative like what it adventure was? trying to figure oh out what God. it was. And it turned out, out to be Tokyo Mew Mew. And then the very next day is when I saw this news come out that there's a remake. I'm like, oh, wow. Incredible. Okay, so, uh, yeah, Magical Girl is like my uh, guilty pleasure. I'll probably end up checking it out. Tokyo Mew Mew is actually something that I meant to been, have checked out for a while now, so this is kind of an excuse. <laughs> All right. Moving right along from that, though. So last episode, we talked about the new Bleach project coming up. Mm -hmm. And we speculated all sorts of things. I hoped for a uh, fighting game. I don't remember what you guys hoped for. It's not what any of us hoped for. Oh, <laughs> it is yeah, a yeah. straight-up continuation of the anime, right where the anime left, left mm. off. So Bleach will be continuing on with the Thousand-Year Blood War arc. And so that have, covers... Have interest. Is the... Is the manga author to Bleach still writing new manga content? No, the manga the manga is over. So is this anime written by him though? Um 
pretty sure uh, it is. Probably, yes. Do, we it, don't. If it is, it would be considered canon. But if it's not written by him, then it would be just considered filler. Like, anime. Yeah, yeah. This this is absolutely canon for sure. Yes. Oh, okay, um, right. But again, my under. Did you ever get this far in the manga, Kyle? Uh, the no, Year Blood no. War I arc? stopped with the Bound arc. Yeah, so basically the general consensus of from the manga readers even that got further than the anime is that like it never really got better. Uh, um, okay. And so even if they adapt the content one-to-one, it's going to be based off of faulty source material. Yeah. So it, it's curious that they've decided to reboot this eight years later because I don't know if you guys realize, but the the anime stopped airing back in 2012. Mm. And so it's been eight years since it's stopped airing, and now they just decide to bring it back now so, without any changes. So, so they, yeah, this is strange. That so, so okay. So the anime aired to a certain point, mm-hmm. and there was still a manga after that. Yes. Right. Okay. I see. So there's still manga going. So they've not officially animated the whole series. So Correct. what they're animating now is more manga content. Right. Got it. So there's still more manga content, yes. and it's going to take them up to the end of the series. But it's been eight years. I mean, we we don't even we don't even know if it will be the end of the series. The only thing we know is that it's going to be animating this thousand year blood war arc. At least, I mean, I'm trying to be optimistic about the situation. It's not like they're playing they're uh, trying to compete with the with the manga to stay behind. If that makes sense, right. this is like obviously a notorious thing of shonen shows where the anime and the manga are like going neck and neck, mm-hmm. and they have to put in filler episodes. At least they don't have to do that, and they can just animate. The actual source material, and it a is just a big as it problem is. of the original Bleach anime for sure. Because yeah, it was I I don't know if you remember me talking the last yeah. episode was I, I dropped the anime because there was too much filler. I got so yeah, sick and so tired of it. So. They won't they won't have to do filler. Yeah, they can just the, the problem is manga, just that like is all released like from the sounds of it, and I, again like I haven't seen or read that arc. It just it's not good content to begin with. <laughs> is the impression I'm getting, yeah, but. It's possible because I feel like there's been a lot more instances lately where the anime has actually improved over the manga. I would say Azokin is probably one of those examples off the top of my head. It's it's possible that this might be one of those instances, but I, I can't see that being the case for a something like Bleach. But we'll see. Uh, we don't have a timeline on when this is coming out yet but it's just been announced. That's not the only Titty Kubo news that we have, though. So, Kyle, you just asked, is he writing any sort of manga content? And he is, actually. He's starting a new series. It's technically not new, though. So, a while back... Uh, is, Kyle, is it Titty Kubo or Tight Kubo? How do you say it? Well, his name? if it's... I don't know how he spells it, but I would think well, it's I, like... I, I want to say Titty Kubo, because that has the word Titty. <laughs> okay, so let's see... Uh, Kubo. I don't know what these characters are. I'll call him Kubo. Um, so Kubo actually there you go. Uh, wrote he wrote a one-shot series wait a while back called Burn the Witch. And that one-shot series is actually getting a full-on serialization. So that's going to be his next manga project. On top of a movie, in fact. And so this there is a trailer for the movie out right now. And so I the basic premise is that it takes place in England. And there are witches, and they're fighting something. That's that's 
about all I've got on it. But the trailer is very neat. It's definitely trademark Kubo uh, character designs, I feel like, with the hair and the the way he proportions his characters. Um, but I'm just... After associating his name with Bleach for so long, I am looking forward to seeing what he can do when he branches out to a brand new series at some point and can just start from the ground up and maybe internalize a lot of the uh, criticisms he got for And have a better editor. Maybe hire a background artist. (laughs) That too. Um, And potentially make something another classic. And it, I I like this one because it's also a female protagonist, which we don't see a whole lot of in the shonen genre. Have you guys heard of this Burn the Witch at all before? Uh, Heard, yes. Consumed, no. Okay. Mostly because I was upset. So, I was still upset with Kubo over Bleach. So. Yeah, that's understandable. So yeah, there's there's a lot of Kubo news that came out recently from this live stream. It wasn't just Bleach like we were thinking. Fortunately, it wasn't the fighting game I wanted. It's a shame, but I, I am willing to uh, give this Burn the Witch thing a shot uh, it's because it's a new project. Uh, I'm not so sure I'll go back to the Bleach anime. Maybe I'll YouTube some of the really cool fight scenes, but that's about it. Mm. I mean, like, I reckon after a couple of months, you'll get a sense of whether or not the anime is going well. Mm-hmm. You'll get mm-hmm. from the fan base, they'll be saying it's shit or no, it's actually getting better. So just wait and see. Yes, exactly. All righty, moving right along. So it was either last episode or a couple episodes back when we talked about the company called Manga Productions. Does that name ring a bell for you guys? It rings a bell, but I can't remember what anything. But if I said that? Manga Productions and Saudi Arabia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yes. that one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yes. This is yes. last yes. episode yes. we spoke about this. Exactly. So Manga Productions is a Saudi Arabian animation company. And last episode, we talked about how their, uh, their collaboration with Toei Animation, right. a movie called Journey, it was going to be premiering at some film festival. I forget which one. And so now that's not, actually wasn't the only project they had going. And so they have now announced, again, Manga Productions in collaboration with Toei Animation, a full se- series called Futures Folk Tales that is airing today, in fact, April 4th with 13 episodes. And it's going to be airing on High Dive. And so this is similar to Journey, a series that is meant to kind of spread uh, Saudi Arabian folklore around to people that are unfamiliar with it. The basic premise is that it takes place in the year 2050 for some reason, because nothing says folklore like the future. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And in a city called Riyadh, I'm not, I'm probably not saying that right. I'm also not sure if that's a real city. Um, it centers around the grandmother named Azma telling folk, folk tales from the Arabian Peninsula to her three grandchildren. And so each episode is supposedly just kind of like a little vignette of a Saudi Arabian folk tale told by this grandmother. And okay. so, yeah, I, I think. Also, as a quick side note. Uh, obviously, uh, I haven't seen as it. As a quick side note, Riyadh is the capital of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Is it? Um, there you go. Okay. A- Avengers. Is it? It is very in, much a real city. Then <laughs> is it voiced in Japanese? I d- actually yes, yes, because the cast is right. Japanese voice actors. So Masako Nozawa as Asma, Naomi Ozora as Maha, Sachiko Kojima as Rayan, and Megumi right. Ura- Urawa. So, as so it's kind of written for Japanese audiences. It's just collaborating with Saudi Arabia. I think that's interesting. 
Yeah, I think it is a very fascinating uh, collaboration, and I definitely want to check it out. Except I don't have a high dive subscription. High dive. I'm not sure if I've, I'm I've curious even, enough I've to. I've never uh, heard of high dive. Like, I've yeah, never it's, heard of it. Yeah, it's the quote unquote competitor to Crunchyroll and Funimation. Quote unquote. Where it's a dedicated anime streaming site, but it is it's not going to compete. I'm actually, it it gets like one exclusive show a season. Oh, and it's typically is a show that I have some interest in, but again, it's never something that I'm going to subscribe to a third streaming service specifically for. There's so many streaming services. Now people can't be expected to subscribe to all of them. It's just not realistic. Well, Mm -hmm. at at this point, like you you pick what you want. They'll get a Netflix subscription. They might get one or two of us, but beyond that, like, yeah, people, people like you're saying, they'll pick what they want. But as far exactly. as uh, so, uh, this series goes, like I, I know we touched on it, you know, the last time manga productions got brought up, but I I would hope that they manage to keep social and political stuff out of it because genuine like the Middle East has some genuinely interesting folklore and folk tales. Mm-hmm. So I would be very interested to see uh an anime based around that concept. Exactly. I and- I like I like to think that Toei Animation and, and the Japanese team, as conservative as Japanese society can be, I like to think they'd be able to say, hey, we can't have a scene in this where we're decapitating someone for being gay. I'd like to think they can actually... Right, I don't not, think that would be... C- considering it, it sounds, I, I couldn't see Considering it, it sounds yeah. like an old grandma telling stories to her <laughs> grandchildren, I don't think they're yeah. going... I think they're going to go with something a little more family-friendly than decapitating. And then they brought the axe down oh, upon his head. Oh, my God. Yeah, let's not <laughs> so have I'm, that. I'm glad it's not going to be reflective of the monstrous opinions of extremist countries. So... Yay. <laughs> All righty. That'll bring us to the end of our news for this week. So la- last time we played a little game that was in favor of Kyle. We played real or fake Isekai. And this this week I want to play a game that gives Harry a little uh, bit of an advantage this time okay. around. Uh, I was hoping Harry would have seen the Sodic movie by now because it is streaming on some services, but it seems like that's only for... Not in the, the UK. The US. Yeah, I was, so I that was is having a look the other day and it's not. I couldn't find it. Yeah, I'm really excited for when you can one day finally watch it. But in celebration of that, though, in celebration of Harry not seeing the Sonic movie, <laughs> we are playing real or fake Sonic Zones. Oh, God. Oh. Okay. Yes. And so... Zones from Sonic Games. Yes, zones from Sonic Games. So you have to tell me if this is real or if it's fake. And uh, yeah. the reverse of what we did last time, I'm going to have Harry answer first. I'm going to fucking, and then Kyle will I'm answer fucking second. smash this. Uh, okay. And I will give you one bonus point if you can tell me if it's real and you can tell me what game it's from. Yes. I know like three off the top of my head. <sighs> right, hit me, Matt. Go. All right, one second. Let me just get my scoreboard ready. Okay. See, I, I, bet, I bet you've looked into like Sonic Triple Trouble and you found some really kind of obscure titles. Uh, maybe. Oh, I, I should I should mention that I, I got this game idea from the Easy Allies Frame Trap podcast. So it's not okay. originally my whole idea, but I also went and pulled some of my own ideas. Oh my well. God. All right. What do we got? All righty. Number one, Spring Yard Zone. Yeah, so, Sonic 1, Zone 3. All right, Kyle. Well... What if I say? Oh wait, yeah, no, no. Yeah, I, I, right? I, I, like, if wait, you what around, am I doing? Yeah, I meant, I'm just gonna say, yeah, that's. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's real, and I that's from Kyle Sonic first, One, yeah. right? <laughs> okay. Kyle should maybe go first. Yeah. Okay, my genuine <laughs> right, answer yeah. was going to be uh, no. 
So I'll, right, I'll take well, that loss there. That's your oh, warm-up. Okay. So two points each. All right. Purple prism zone, Kyle. Uh, no. Okay. I actually say so this is obscure. I think it is, but I might be wrong there. Oh, well, final answer. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. Kyle gets one over oh, on you. It's fake. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was having that moment of like, oh shit, is it from a Sonic Advance game? And I was, I was trying to think, but no. Yeah. Well done, Kyle. <laughs> All right. Sky chase. Sky chase. Oh zone. yeah. Kyle. That's, that's real. Yeah. Thanks, okay, Harry. Real for both. I, you, I, 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 I genuinely. Wait, wait, Harry, before you say I anything, Kyle, can you, can you name the game? I cannot Kyle? name the game. No. Mm, can I? No. No. But yes, it's a real thing. Harry. I can name the game. What is it? Sonic 2. It's before Wing Fortress Zone. Yes. So you are tied up now, 4-4. Four, four. Oh, my God. All right. Panic Puppets Zone. Uh, that doesn't sound real. No. All right. It, it is real. Are you it's from Sonic fucking CD. kidding me? It is real. From Sonic 3D Blast, which is CD, yeah. Sh- shit, no. I, I got. Well, I I said Sonic CD, but you're right. It's Sonic 3D Blast. So okay, never mind. Uh, but I know I it's a real thing. Whatever, whatever. Yeah, just keep going. Different games. Keep going. All right. So what, only one point for Harry. Yeah. Ice Cap Zone. No, I'm just gonna keep. No, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I. I. No. Harry. It is a zone from Sonic 3, you? and it was also used in Sonic Adventure. Fucking stop. You are Harry. correct. <laughs> We got it. We had to balance it out. For okay, that's time, that, that is very fair though, because I completely yes. like. I'm just guessing now. All right. Yeah. Circuit board zone. No, Kyle. Harry. That is not a zone. Good. You are both correct. Good. That is fake. <laughs> <laughs> Good. All right. All right. All right. Double X zone. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Are you going to give me a name? No, I'm not going to give you a name. Okay, Harry. So this is a thing. I don't think it is real, but for any of these, it could be a really obscure Sonic game that you found. So I don't think it is real. I'm going to say no, but you could hypothetically turn around and say, yeah, it's from Sonic Advance 2 and drop something obscure. <laughs> but I don't think it's real. It is real. It is from Sonic Advance 2. You're fucking kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I could not have yeah. Okay, Kyle gets that All point, right, though. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Storm cloud zone. Yes. No. Harry? I don't think. No. no. It is fake. Yes, fake. I, I'm, what I'm, I'm not as clued in on the handheld games. That's what I'm more, ske- mm-hmm. like, more sketchy on when it comes to like the Sonic Advance games, Sonic Rush and Sonic Rush Adventure. The handheld stuff, that's where mm-hmm. my memory gets foggy. So... But yeah, it, that's not real. Yep. Nightmare Zone. Uh, yes. No. Harry? It is real. Oh, what is it It's from? from Sonic Lost World, the Knights DLC. Oh, that is... It's from a DLC. I've, I've, I've played Sonic Lost World, but I didn't play the DLC. Yeah. Dumbass. All right. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. All right. Wacky workbench uh, zone. N- n- no. It is Harry. a zone from Sonic CD. Can you fucking stop? Harry got it. <laughs> Two points for Harry. <laughs> Wacky workbench. All right. Tidal surge zone. And this is the last one. T- w- Tidal surge? Z- yes. 
Perry. It so there's a zone called tidal tempest zone, but I don't believe there's a zone called tidal surge zone unless I've got I've made a mistake. I may have made a mistake, but I don't think it's real. You're wait, Kyle. What'd you yes. say? Is fake. Is fake. <laughs> so Harry gets it. So the final score is twelve. Harry seven. Kyle. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. Into that two times multiplier. That's a win for Whatever. you, Kyle. Kyle, to be fair, you did pretty good. Like, no, I don't fucking patronize. I was, him. I was having, I was having to guess on a few of them. Fucking. And yeah, you you got some that that Harry didn't. So yeah, yeah. well, they weren't earned. Did, did they weren't earned. I'll try to think of a game that's more evenly balanced for next episode. But <laughs> I mean, that that was that was the great equalizer. The thing is, with Sonic vs. so many obscure games, games that I've played before, but you could easily be like Sonic Labyrinth, like a really obscure Sega Mega Drive game. What is Zone Seven in Sonic Labyrinth? I didn't fucking know. Do you know what I mean? You could go really specific and really like yep. niche with it. Um, you know, you name any of the main Sonic zones from like the main games, and I'll know it. But if you go into like obscure spin-offs or like weird little forgotten titles, that's when it gets tricky. I love how you just instantly answered my first question about Spring Yard Zone. You're like, ah, oh, yes, from Sonic One Zone Three, right yes, after this zone, it, right before this that's, zone. That's that's an easy one. Any Sonic fan could answer that though. That's an easy one. Well, I am not a Sonic right. fan, so... You're not. Unless it's the movie, which you really enjoyed. I did enjoy. Anyways. I, yeah, yeah, I should have I said uh, Green Hills. Uh, that's just the city name. Never mind. There's no way to really distinguish that from the game. Gr- Green Alrighty. Hill is his own, obviously. Yes. So Harry retains his dominance as the Sonic guru. And so now we're going to talk about Sonic antagonists. Not specifically Sonic antagonist, but antagonist in general, because uh-huh. our main topic. Well, now this I week wanted to talk about is, Sonic antagonist. We can't talk about Sonic antagonist. That would that would wrap right into this topic, and there is a Sonic anime. So a uh, while back, I don't remember how far back, but we we did a topic of what makes for a good protagonist, and so now we're flipping that on its head, and we're going to talk about what makes a good antagonist. What makes for a character that goes against our main character and makes the story interesting in some shape or form. And so to start us off, I want to just ask you guys, just off the top of your head, you don't have to give a reason yet. What is one antagonist that sticks out in your mind from any series whatsoever? Uh, Don Flamingo from One Piece. Don Flamingo, okay, and Kyle? Uh, Just because it's the most recent shonen I have on the mind, uh, Muzen. Muzen, okay. And I say... uh, Again, kind of similar because it's recently on my mind is uh, Askeladd from Vinland oh, Saga. Yeah. All right, so now let's let's dig into these. So go, coming back to Harry, so Don Flamingo yeah. from what? This <laughs> is from What'd One say? Piece. From One Piece. Okay, so yeah. what what is it about Don Flamingo that draws you to him? So we we're going to talk about like what makes. A I don't know, even know if it's a male or female. Me, I think if you take the kind of the typical trope of like an evil overlord who just wants to destroy everything or take over the world. It's so quite, it's quite tired and it's quite like, it succeeds at making a, a loathsome antagonist, but it's quite boring. What I find really interesting with certain antagonists is having awful people who are morally bankrupt in so many ways, yet there are certain things they care about and certain things they value and certain people they can prioritize. So this is an antagonist in One Piece who really came into it around episode 800 and 
No, so it's it like the 700s, like in the 700s. Was it the 700s or the 800s or the 900s? It all blends together. It was in like the 700s. He was, he was teased as an antagonist for ages, but he really came into it in the Dressrosa arc, which was in like the 700s. So yeah, a, a, a long period of time. And um, yeah, basically he's a, he's a complete fucking psycho. He's a complete dick. He's a monster in every way. And he does various things that make you hate him. Yet beneath all this, he really, really values his crew. And his closest kind of, he calls them his family, like his close crew members, his, his officers, if you like. He really values them and he really supports them. And I find this really interesting because as much as you loathe him, as much as you despise him, his actions are never just chalked up to, oh, he's just a violent psycho. He's just a madman. It's like, no, he, he genuinely <clears throat> believes that he's within his right to act as he is acting. He genuinely mm-hmm. thinks he's doing nothing wrong. And that's kind of shown by the fact that he cares about certain people. He has the capacity to be good. He has the capacity to care and the capacity to to have positive feelings. He just chooses not to. And I don't know, I find that really interesting as a character trait for an antagonist to so, show that and, they can be good. So with this kind of antagonist that has this uh, this two-sided nature to it, would you say Don Flamingo is, do you want to take him down? Do you want to oh, see t- him taken down? Totally, yeah, yeah. He, he does so some you, fucked up things. So despite despite the compassion he's capable of, he's still someone that deserves to be taken down in the end. Yeah, One Piece is really, really good at showing and not telling, which is obviously like the number one rule of story writing, show, don't tell. Um, and it, it shows you exactly how Doflamingo overtook the, the country of Dressrosa and how he kind of became elected king through really mm-hmm. vicious, awful means. And he does it all at the expense of harming the actual king, King Riku. I won't go into like all the plot of it because it will bore people, but um, <laughs> it, sh- it goes back in time and it shows you exactly what he did to gain the trust of Dressrosa. And when you see what he did, you're like, oh my God, this dude's a fucking monster. He's awful. And he's done all this, like believing he is the rightful ruler of the country, believing that he's superior because he's part of a particular race called the Celestial Dragons. Um, so he genuinely believes it's his right. Um, and when you see what he does, you just think, yeah, this guy's awful. He's terrible. I want him to be taken mm-hmm. down. But it shows that he cares about his close confidants. And, that he and so he's, he's charismatic in a way. He, oh, totally, you can see yeah. why someone would follow him. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it is. I, I think mm-hmm. that probably ties into, a, a what's, I can't remember his name, the guy from Villain Saga. Ascalad. you mentioned. <laughs> Yeah, Asclad. Yeah. Yeah. I I know that people have said similar things about him. I was gonna say, yeah, like the, the mm-hmm. I, I haven't caught up with One Piece uh, nearly as far as you have, but a lot of that just general way that Don Flamingo sounds like he's written is pretty much in line with how Ascalad is. Right. I think uh, the difference for me uh, with Ascalad and uh, Harry with Don Flamingo is because I asked him, "Is it someone you want to see taken down?" And Harry said, "Yes." Oh yeah. Whereas in Vinland Saga. Ascalad isn't the kind of character that I wanted to see taken down in a weird way. Yes, he's a terrible person and he does really bad things. But at the same time, you can see that he's not hes not doing this for the sake of power or for some superfluous reason mm-hmm. as just uh, to be safe. He's doing it because he has a, deep, a deep-seated vindiction to... Uh, accomplish the things that he sets out to do and he hides that from all of his he hides that from his whole Mm -hmm. crew at the same time like unlike don flamingo where it sounds like his crew is in line with his goals 
mm-hmm. Askeladd the whole time is being manipulative about it while still being charismatic and being this almost mentor figure to his whole his whole uh, pirate crew. And that makes him, and at the same time, he's this weird sort of destructive mentor figure to the protagonist, Thorfinn, where if without him, Thorfinn would not have survived the way he has now. And so he's given and he's taking, you don't, you can't really rectify in your head what he deserves in the end. Like you can't, if I were to sentence his fate, I wouldn't know what I want to do. And that kind of conflict in me uh, is what really caused me to gravitate towards him as an antagonist because I can't, I can't judge him one, one way yeah. or the so other. So if we're just talking about Askeladd right now, um, because you know, we're, we're on this now, I, I absolutely love Askeladd as an antagonist. Uh, he, he is one of my favorite characters in just, just in general, like in recent series, sure, but just in general, uh, purely because of that whole ambiguity towards uh, him as the reader where or, or the viewer. Right. Where it's like you mm-hmm. completely get where he's coming from and why he's doing the things that he's doing. But I think what's important with Vinland Saga is that the like the more monstrous things that Askeladd does, like you said, aren't really a result of him. The series makes a huge, huge, huge effort to show you how this is kind of just endemic to Viking society as a whole. So he's mm-hmm. just pl- yes, he's, yes, he's just playing within the rules. And he even he he has acknowledged how much he hates playing the game it's just this is how you yes, succeed I think, that, yeah. I think that's that's a very good way of putting it in that like in, in our eyes he's very monstrous but in the eyes of just the denizens of this time period just in general it's just like that's that's the lives they lived and that's how they survived and they didn't think anything of it and so that makes this weird kind of cognitive dissonance where you don't know how to rectify that within yeah, yourself especially with like his personal arc it's like it's it's not entirely unlike what Thorfinn wants. Um, and I won't get into much too much with spoilers or anything, but there's a certain point where you learn more about Askeladd and he becomes a vastly more sympathetic figure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Alrighty, but I wouldn't say your pick is very yeah, sympathetic. No, no, wow. especially compared to Don Flamingo and Askeladd, the way we've been talking about, like, oh, yeah, you know, if you empathize with the villains, you know, that makes them more endearing. Um, and you know, you you have like there's that interesting moral conflict. Muzin is just a straight up bastard, man. But it's done very well because it's not just, oh, I'm evil, I'm gonna be evil. I mean, that's kind of what his character is. But it doesn't really make any effort to humanize him because it doesn't need to. Um, Demon Slayer has a very interesting cast of villains, the bulk of which are empathetic, but it all ties back to how Muzin has just ruined everybody else's lives, mm-hmm. including the villains. Like a lot of the villains don't become villains because they want to be villains. They, they become it because Muzin offered them a very easy way out to get revenge or to get whatever they were seeking. Um, and he's just preying on the weak. So that's in direct conflict with Tanjiro, the protagonist who is like, okay, well we need to protect the weak. Um, and he like, as you go through the series and as you empathize with all of these different villains, you start to see like how, just how much Muzin has ruined like so many different lives. So by the time you get to the eventual confrontation, it's like, okay, yeah, we need to fucking just get rid of him now. But even then, it's like, it's, he's not just 
all bark. Like he is one of the most powerful and threatening figures in Demon Slayer, if not the most. Like it. So in the current arc with the manga, like it is taking a lot to even go head to head with him. Yeah, that's what I would say too. Where like he, I have not seen a more menacing character in anime or manga in a very long time. Like I. I can't remember the last time when I've seen a, an antagonist. I'm just thinking, he's like, don't fight this guy. He, he don't is, fight him. That is a bad idea. Muzan is as threatening as Dio says he is, if that makes sense. But actually, but actually isn't. isn't. Yeah, because like, you know, you, you have the Jojo's <laughs> just like kind of go up against him and it's like, okay, you have like the standard shonen back and forth. But Muzin will like, like I, I am legitimately terrified for any of the characters that get into a fight with Muzin. Exactly, yes. And I think part of, uh, part of that impression of Vietnam from him is because of the first impression. The first time we uh, encounter, the first time Tanjiro encounters him in the series the way it happens where it's just in the middle of the street, no stakes or anything. It's just walking amongst humans. And Tanjiro is just like, I, I need to do something, but I can't. And then Muzin just completely and utterly nonchalantly destroys that whole situation um, mm-hmm. with in a very, very horrible and terrible way too. Uh, it's just downright disturbing. And then you see what he does afterwards to the people that kind of follow up on him. Uh, and it's you don't want to mess with him because that's a fate worse than death mm-hmm. in the way. And the way that he, you, you can't, you don't understand his mindset either is the scary part. You don't understand, you don't know if he's enjoying this. You don't know if he feels some sort of sense of purpose or righteousness. You don't know why he's doing the things he's he just does a threatening force of, of nature. Yeah. That, un, yes, it, that's a way of putting it. Yes. He's, uh, he's a corp, incorporeal force of nature that you can't do anything about. Nature doesn't feel things, neither does Musen. And so that's what truly makes him threatening mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my eyes. This just makes me so excited for season two of Demon Slayer. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It it just continues to ramp up, which is like just... Yeah. And I, I think that's what I really appreciate about an antagonist like Musen is that he sets the bar so high in terms of like threat and risk and conflict that... It's really just like you don't know where it's going to take you. Um, it's just in terms of the whole like dramatic arc. So with like you, you know with, exactly. with with a villain or in with an antagonist like Ascalad, right? You know, it, it's very much more of a I guess a, a personal drive forward, right? Where the story is like okay, a lot of the conflict is really just based on conflicting ideologies. But with Muzan, it's just okay. Uh, he's going to kill everybody. How do we stop him? Right. Like, in, in a lot of other shonens, defeating the big bad is more or less a foregone conclusion. That's, I absolutely cannot say the same for Muzin and Kimetsu no Yaiba. It's just like, I, I cannot say with certainty that Muzin will actually be taken down. Mm-hmm. Like, it might be that he wins. It might be that we find some sort of other solution. It might be that, no like, in my a few mind named characters die in the process. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just, there, there is, it, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's honestly like what Eisen was in the first arc of Bleach. And then as it went on, it kind of just like never made him as threatening again. Um, mm-hmm. But that, that's a good way to make a bad antagonist. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so another kind of antagonist that's sort of a flip side to Muzin, where Muzin is the kind where you don't want to engage. You, 
you can't see him being taken down. Another kind of antagonist is the one that you just, no holds barred, no strings attached, nothing like Don Flamingo. It's like, oh, he has some redeeming features. Like, no, like <laughs> you despise this character yeah. with every five year of your being and you cannot wait for them to be taken down and you know they will be taken down. And oddly enough, the one example I can think about that off the top of my head right now, and I'm sure there are others, there's a character in Excel World, which I'm not sure if either of you have no. seen. No. Okay, so Excel World is kind of like the sister series to Sword Art Online. It technically takes place in the same universe, but it's completely separate. Basically, the whole premise is instead of VR technology, it's AR technology okay. in a way. And main character gets sucked into this battle royale while they go into like virtual space and like he can duke it out for like points that lets him slow down time, yada, yada, yada. Um, main character's kind of claim to fame is that his his battle avatar can fly. And that's a very rare trait. Of course. And so, yes. And so partway through the second season, there's this antagonist that shows up and he steals his power essentially. And so the main character can no, no longer fly. And the antagonist dangles this over his head, both in the virtual world and the real world, and just kind of basically uh, holds it hostage and force blackmails the main character to do a bunch of things. And he's just the most shittiest human being ever. And he's a high schooler, so he has the most shitting grade yeah. of all time also. And so this goes on for a few episodes. And you're just seething. But the whole time, you know like he's going to get taken down. And you just relish the moment it does. And then when it mm. finally does, it is so cathartic and so satisfying. And so in a way, that kind of uh, one-dimensional antagonist has value as well. Where it's just like you feel this, this sweet release. Where if someone says like vengeance never gets you anywhere, like that's kind of like the argument against that in a way. Mm. Secondhand mm. vengeance. Mm. Well, Is there that, any sort of know, antagonist that comes to I mind know in that regard? It's obviously not anime, but with Game of Thrones, for example, with Joffrey and Ramsay, they were so Oh god, they're just awful people. And it's like and, and yeah. it makes sense and it's, why it's they're the same awful. Kind of thing you want them you want them both to suffer completely. Like and, and that's the best part about those kinds of villains where it's like, okay, you know, you just want them like down completely. Uh, it's like you understand why they're the way they are. So with like Muzin, right? He he's just kind of okay. He's just this eldritch being who's lived way too long and has like delusions of grandeur. But if you have somebody like Joffrey or um, this character uh, in the SAO spinoff, or uh, somebody else that got brought to mind was Kamoshida, who I would say is like probably yes. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. unfortunate. Unfortunately, the best villain in Persona Five. He is, yeah, he's so loathsome. Uh, just because he is so loathsome, you don't really empathize with him, but you understand his character and how, like, he's developed that mentality of just, like, self-aggrandizement and, like, just, yeah, those delusions of grandeur, where he is just so full of himself and such a scumbag that, yeah, you, like, br bringing him down, like, you're, you're, with, you're with the crew, and it's like, okay, yeah, let's bring Kamashita down. Everybody else is kind of like, mm. okay, they're kind of doing shitty things like Madarame and like everybody else. And like, even Shido is like, oh, I guess, yeah, let's take him down because he wants to do bad things. But Kamoshida is like, he, what really works with Kamoshida is I've, that his, I think because the, the stake, in a way, the stakes are smaller, but that makes it feel more. Yeah. Real. Well, it, it makes it feel it, more yeah, personal. It's because yeah. it's so personal. It's because it's like, oh, he is like physically, verbally, emotionally abusing students and like that's a very real threat it's a very personal mm. threat it, when it's something that's like on a global scale of a countrywide scale that's still like fucking atrocious but 
it feels more disconnected. Mm-hmm. Whereas when it's like all of these evil things that they're doing are just in this one school, it yeah. feels and you more have to real. remember. You have to remember too, like this is after that really shocking event in the opening moments of the game happens too, to that one character. That like in the short time you'd grown kind of attached to mm-hmm. in a way. And to see that to see that happen to her because of the direct result of Kamoshida, yeah. it gives you motivation to take him yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good villain. So of, of an opposite. Funnily enough, though, I would say that uh I haven't played as much Sonic as you have, Harry, but I think it's three where um, I actually really enjoyed Knuckles. Knuckles as the antagonist for a hot minute, yeah, right? Yeah. Because, um, like, he, he's a really cool character. I, I, I like when your antagonist is your rival. Yeah. So, yeah, that's something I want to ask. Like, go on. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just this idea that it's like, okay, here's this character. It's like, oh, they're super cool. But it's like, oh, I have to, like, go against them. It's like, oh, that makes you feel, like, as strong as them, um, which is really cool. Like, in, so... Uh, my own video game experience uh, with Mega Man X uh, in the first stage, you go up against this character, this purple Boba Fett character named Vile. And he looks so cool. He's like in this suit of armor. He's got all of this cool gear and like you have a tough time fighting him and you don't beat him. But like, like Zero has to come help you. But you know, once you go through the game, you get power ups and you progress later in the game, you kick Vile's ass and it feels so gratifying. Mm. Yeah, in terms of uh, rival characters being antagonists, I think that's a good point as well. That's a complete. I, I wasn't sure if I would consider rival characters an antagonist, but they absolutely they, they, are. They are and in antagonistic some, roles. Yes, they are. They are meant to be a foil to the main character, which is sometimes what antagonists serve purpose as well. And something that comes to mind for me is uh, a lot of characters in Haikyuu, the volleyball mm. anime. Have you either I watched, you guys like, watched the that? First- 15 I, I need to watch it. I know, it's meant to be it, it's really, fun. Really good. It's fun. It, it's great. Yeah. It it gets it just gets better and better the more you watch it. But um there is like in the second season or so, there's a character called Oikawa. Um he strikes up he is strikes a striking resemblance to someone I know in real life and it scares <laughs> me. But um <laughs> he is a an all-star volleyball player, obviously, and he's a great setter, which is the foil to um one of the main characters in Haiku, Kageyama. And what I really appreciate about him, or actually to back up a little bit, something I, a trap I feel like a lot of sports anime fall into is that the really talented players are like the taciturn, emotionless ones. They're just like, I'm the best, and that's just how it is, and yada, yada, yada. And I think, I feel like that's a trap a lot of sports anime fall into, and that's not the case for Orikawa. He's very charismatic, he's rambunctious, he gets along with everybody, mm-hmm. but then when he's on the court, it's like, okay, down mm-hmm. to business. And kind of like seeing those two sides of him, it feels a lot more real to an actual athlete. But the way that he pushes uh, Kageyama to grow in his own way as a setter is fantastic. And also the way that Production IG animates these volleyball matches, you really feel the force behind Oikawa's uh, serves and his spikes, for instance. And it like resonates in your Mm. soul. Uh, Something else I really appreciate, too, is that they lose to him once. And they reconcile themselves with that. And then they come back stronger and then they eventually beat him. And so that I like it when your rival provides that uh, that wall to surmount. It's not just a formality to go mm-hmm. through because a lot of rivals can be like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and when something's set up where it's like the, the protagonist doesn't automatically defeat them, like mm-hmm. you're saying, like, like there are victories. And to be fair, I know I always reference it, but going back to the example I made, one piece is really good at that as time goes on to make antagonists that actually 
will beat Luffy and it will take Luffy being totally defeated before he actually comes back and turns the situation around. Uh, and he's caught with antagonists in the latter half of the series now, but he can't beat. He, he just physically can't beat them and he has to retreat. And they'll stick around for like longer, but he won't be able to fight them. Um, and I don't know. I think that's really interesting when you play, exactly. play with power I, levels like that. When, you're, when your protagonist is just constantly winning all the time, that's never interesting. And I, I feel like uh, the only time you actually see that is in gag or satirical shows like One Punch Man. Yeah. I think uh, a lot, uh, most series nowadays are smart enough to realize, like, if I just have my protagonist win all the time, we don't have a story. Well, Kaya, uh, but it's, Kaya, it's how they lose that's important. You mentioned with My Hero Academia that Midoriya becomes way too powerful for his own good. And does it start to feel like he can never lose? Well, so my, my issue with Deku um, is more that it feels like they're retreading the same ground with him. Um, and uh, kind of as a result of like, okay, so, so Hero Academia, like up to the overhaul arc, right, has established very powerful villains and has given like Deku like the opportunity to grow. But when they retread the same character development of like, oh, am I worthy of this power? And it's like, oh, how can I use this? It kind of undermines his victories against very legitimately good villains. Uh, mm. So that's that, that's one instance of where I'd say it's like, yes, even if you have a good antagonist, it really like depends on how that affects your protagonist. Because like if you spend all that effort to have that development and you kind of just keep them in that same space it doesn't really mean anything which is why mm. like i i really enjoy muzan as a as an antagonist because it forces tanjiro to change like tanjiro where he is right now is not the same character in the first arc mm. he's still like his core that's, his, his that's core ideology point, is still there but muzan has forced him to change same with Askeladd in villain saga he forces thorfinn to change several times mm-hmm yeah, if anything, uh, it seems like right now Deku is the one forcing uh, Tomura. Yeah, to which is uh, and not the other kinda, way around. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I will I, say with Midoriya, obviously, I I love my Hero Academia, and the new season actually finished today. The last yep. episode of season four aired today, and it was a an amazing finale. It was the end of a high end fight, and it was really really well done. Mm. Um, but I do feel like, especially with say like the fight with Gentle Criminal. It just feels, it's starting to feel a bit like Midoriya can't get defeated. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I, I like, don't get me wrong, I obviously still love it, but I do think season four has been my least favorite series so far. I still mm-hmm. really enjoyed it. It was still great fun, but I do feel like it was a bit weaker than the other three series. Mm-hmm. And I do think that like with the, the fight with Gentle Criminal, as great as it was, it was still very entertaining. Midoriya sort of did it with relatively little difficulty then he ran off and he did his school performance and he was all right. And I just kind of felt like I, I want him to struggle. I want him to get totally defeated. Which is almost. honestly like, is- why, like, I really enjoyed Mirio a lot more. Um, mm. Just because, you know, I'm not getting into spoilers, but just all of the fights that Mirio goes through, like, you, you, and especially with all the flashbacks and seeing where he's coming from, like, he has a dynamic character arc that Deku yeah. has kind of stagnated in. Yeah, I kind of wish it went a little differently. It's going with mm. a lot of the, like, very... It, it's going into the trap that a lot of shonen get into. And since we were talking about Bleach, it was the 
problem that Bleach got into, which was, oh, here, let's throw all of the side characters, and then Ichigo's going to clean up. It's like, that's not fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going back to your point about uh, losing and seeing the character struggle, I think as we watch shows, especially as we watch Shonen, we develop our own internal barometer for the stakes. And we say, it's like, okay, like when the stakes reach a certain height on my barometer, it gets to a point where the character cannot lose. They are not mm. allowed to lose. Mm. And then I think what makes for a interesting antagonist and interesting story is when it surpasses that threshold in a barometer and then they lose. And then the, the story somehow manages to continue onwards despite that yeah. loss. And that creates an interesting antagonist. That creates an interesting story. That means well, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, it sounds like One Piece does that a lot too with how uh, One Piece Luffy is, loses and has to retreat. One Piece is so good. And one of the most iconic things that it's done is the time skip. And that all yeah. comes about because they're all trying to fight these particular characters in an island and none of the Straw Hats can win. And, and Luffy actually says for the first time in the series, we need to run away. We can't beat these guys. And they all get attacked by this particular antagonist and they get separated. And Luffy has to go, well, we all have to go away and train for two years. And the time skip occurs because they're not strong enough. So if we train for two years and then we come back, and even after that, they still face like intense hardships. And something that Eta Oda is really good at is making the power levels feel consistent and making it feel like Luffy is strong as he is. He is not the strongest character in that world. And when he does achieve a really <clears throat> intense victory, he comes away from it and he's absolutely battered and bruised and he can't move. And he's, he's like collapsed, he can't move mm-hmm. his body. And I think that's another point with My Hero Academia. I think the one time it's felt like Midori has been pushed to his limit was when he fought muscular. Mm-hmm. Um, and even then he kind of, he went off afterwards and he did so much more. But Array's head sort of mentioned it's because of his adrenaline and, and that's why he's, he's doing all right. But I kind of want to see those situations more where if, if Midori does win against a villain, it feels afterwards like, fucking hell he needs to spend the next week in hospital because he shouldn't have won that and it feels like he he you know he won it out of sheer luck and dedication and he nearly died doing so it. on a if that, that makes was sense. the overhaul fight wasn't it sorry that was the overhaul fight wasn't not it, really he ended up in the hospital for a few uh, days well i i suppose it, okay so no. i guess spoilers since we're talking about it but we're, we're also getting away from antagonists yeah. yes. going back, bit, going so. back to, <laughs> to antagonists let's try and tie this all up so like how do you think antagonists should be set up in ways that play off the protagonist play off the protagonists do you think it depends on what you're trying right, to do exactly so yeah, and so when we were giving our protagonist discussion, we were talking about how pro- we enjoy when protagonists grow in organic ways, when they don't just have a sudden power spike, uh, that their powers make sense. Like how we mentioned early Deku, the way he's used his powers without just having a straight power boost. The same applies to antagonists as well, where um, going back to that smashing the barometer idea that I had before, if you just have a protagonist like, this was not my true power all along, haha, it's just like, well... That, that just feels cheap. I don't like that. But if you have a, I, I said protect, if you have an antagonist that instead they use their power in a different way that you weren't expecting, but is still consistent with what you know about them, and they just pl- clearly outwit the protagonist, that makes for an interesting fight. That makes for an interesting loss for the protagonist. And it feels, it doesn't feel cheap in that regard. And that really sets the stage for how the protagonist thinking, therefore, mm-hmm. grow as mm-hmm. a result. 
Good old baddies, good old antagonists. We love them. All right. Yes. And so that sounds like it's going to be a wrap. We just need to uh, defeat the antagonist that is the coronavirus. Yes. Before the next episode, that'll give us a lot of material. I I need to have an awakening in my powers and I will go and I will defeat them. Exactly. Yes. We just have to increase our power levels, reach deep into our souls of souls. (laughs) All righty then. So that's going to be a wrap. Kyle, where can we find you at? You can find me uh, at Light the Rogue on Twitter. And manga recommendation for this episode, uh, you should go read Jahisama, uh, which is a really... How do you spell that? J-A-H-I? Close. uh, J-A-H-Y. Jahisama. Uh, And it is a series about uh, one of the... A, a high-ranking uh, general of hell who loses her powers and becomes a shitty little child gremlin and is trying to restore them. And it's all about how, because she's in her shitty little child gremlin state, she can't do anything right. It's, it's just fun. It sounds like a version of uh, Haruako Maosama in a weird way where Demon Lord loses his powers, but he's still oh, like... no, it's exactly like old. that. But instead of, uh, you know, this kind of... Uh, just regular dude it's a tiny little moe girl so it's cute <laughs> i'll probably check that out all right harry where can we find you at uh harry underscore morris underscore on twitter and uh are we looking for a music recommendation today we sure are uh right oh i'm on the spot um last time i mentioned <laughs> the album by the peggies did you get to listen to yes. that matt so were you busy yeah it was fantastic oh I loved it's it. good isn't it it's, yeah. it's a really really good like pop album um, yeah, it, it's, it makes for great uh, music when I'm working too. Yeah. Oh, wicked. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, I'm going to mention um, an upcoming album. Some of it's not out yet, but uh, Porter Robinson is an artist I love. And uh, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He did Shelter. Exactly. He did Shelter. Yeah, yeah. So obviously that was uh, a music video that was animated by A1 Studios, I think, mm-hmm. did it? Um, I believe so, yeah. So if, if you're into kind of geeky electronic music sort of stuff, then yeah, he's uh, he's got a new album coming out soon. And it's it's not got an official release date, but uh, he's got two singles out from it. They're both really good. So yeah, keep an eye on his projects because uh, we have a new album come out this year. So yeah, that's my recommendation. Nice, yeah. I'll have to check out what he's got. I've been really into an artist called Millie recently. M-I-L-E-T. She did one of the ending songs from Vinland Saga and she did a lot of music for uh, Babylonia recently. But oh, she has okay. an exceptionally powerful voice that is just downright inspirational so i've been really into her lately she's got a new single coming out soon as well all right as for me i am at musing mojack m-u-s-i-n-g-m-o-j-a-c-k you can also find me at goombastomp.com which is where our lovely hot podcast is hosted you can go there for all of your video game tv movie anime comic wrestling needs my anime recommendation for this episode will be uh Magia Record Side Story, which is the spinoff for Oh, Monica so that Magica. ended up being good. I, so here's the thing. Um, I l- was losing interest in it in the middle part of it. But... Uh, it was starting to become pre- predictable. I'm like, okay, this is kind of settling into formula. And then it came back with a vengeance the last few episodes. So I was downright dumbstruck by the end of it all. And so it's going to get a second season. It didn't finish. But I don't remember the last time a show recovered so gloriously from such a low point that I was almost about Mm. to drop it. So 
was very, very impressed about that. Just uh, be aware that the middle part's a bit sluggish. I got an article coming out about it pretty much right after we finished recording here. Ah. So yeah, if you liked Madoka, it's not Madoka, but it's still very good. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us today. Wicked. And we will see you next time. Ciao.